Hey everyone, this is Mike Dunn. And I'm Janine Dunn, no relation. And I'm Julie Cook. And you are listening to Rethinking EDU. Thank you so much for joining us for this amazing episode we have in store for you. And, you know, Janine, I think that's the first time we've ever said that we're not related on this podcast. And I wonder if people have been... I should have let it go. People can just think what Yeah, they yeah, want. yeah. People can make their own assumptions, right? <laughs> um, I, I guess we would be related, you know, by like uh, marriage, like 20 times removed because your husband and I probably have like ancestors, you know, from the Irish homeland or something like that. Is that, that sounds about right, right? <laughs> yeah, somewhere in England. Yeah, probably there's a connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, anyway, we can explore our, you know, uh, lineages sometime, not during Rethinking EDU, wah, wah, hate to be the, you know, party pooper here. Um, <laughs> but uh, thank you, audience members, for joining us and listening to this episode of Rethinking EDU. We are here this evening with an amazing trio of individuals from the Springhouse Learning Community, which is located at about an hour southeast of Roanoke, Virginia, in rural Appalachia. And they describe themselves as a, as a vitality-centered education space. They offer day programming uh, for students in grades 7 through 12, a coming-of-age program for teens, and an, adult, and an adult learning program. And they specialize and emphasize in building high-quality, amazing relationships, supporting vitality, and making a difference in the world. I want to introduce Jenny Finn first. Jenny is the head of school and co-founder. Jenny, thanks for joining us. How are you doing tonight? Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having us, you all. We're really grateful to be here. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm really excited to talk a little bit about Springhouse and what we're up to. Amazing. Thanks, Jenny. And second, I want to introduce H. Leopold. And H is the head of curriculum design at Springhouse. H, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. And of course, we cannot forget our other guest, Sarah Murfeld. Sarah is Springhouse's own place-based practitioner. Sarah, how are you doing? And I can't wait to hear what exactly that means. <laughs> totally. It's a new title. So I'm feeling, I'm still kind of feeling it out myself, but I'm doing really well and excited to chat. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you all three of you for joining us. We want to launch right into this conversation. And, uh, you know, we've been doing this podcast for a little while. We've got, you know, 36 episodes out there hanging around the interwebs. I hope you all have listened to all 35 previous to this one. And um, we have never, I think, encountered a school that describes itself as Springhouse Learning Community does. And so I know I'm super excited to jump into this conversation and learn more. And to kind of get us there, I would love one of our guests to talk a little bit about how long Springhouse has been around and, you know, what what was sort of the foundational impetus for its founding? Yeah, thanks for the question. This is um, Jenny, and I'd be happy to talk about that as one of the co-founders. Um, so um, Springhouse is now going into its eighth year in, um, here in the Blue Ridge Mountains, which is a miracle, Mike. Going into our eighth year, I can't tell you as we began this endeavor, um, times that I heard this will never work. Um, it was many, <laughs> and for many reasons. Uh, Springhouse is located in rural Appalachia, um, in, in one of the poorest counties in, in Virginia. 
And here we are, a private, independent, nonprofit school starting in a one-stop light town with 15,000 people total in the county. So in, in the town proper of Floyd lives four to 500 people. So okay. we really are in the middle of the mountains here. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to start something, like you said, you know, you've never heard a, a, a school or a learning community described in the way that Springhouse is. Right. So it's already, it's on this cutting edge. And here we are in the middle of beautiful nowhere. Um, it, it does seem like we are, we were trying to initiate or uh, begin the impossible. Um, but we took it one step at a time. And we started in, it was three of us, myself and um, two guys, and we started it together. Um, I can tell you, I was finishing up a PhD in sustainable education. I had no intention of starting a school. I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to be doing um, after my PhD and after moving to the Blue Ridge and really kind of um, beautifully uh, fell into this um, thing that's now called Springhouse. And so really what motivated the three of us was not really starting a school. That's not hmm. really what was the exciting. None of us really, except for maybe Ezekiel, identified as a teacher or even an educator, which sounds funny when you're talking to someone who you know um, got her PhD in sustainable education. Much of my work before Springhouse was around um, fostering vitality in organizations and in communities. I mostly did that through creative expression, primarily dance. So hospitals, schools, ju uh, juvenile justice centers, uh, everything mm. you can imagine would hire me to come in and lead different sort of creative and also courageous kind of conversations that would really spark this vitality in these different places. The problem was, Mike, was that there wasn't a culture around that spark to take care of it. So the minute I would come in, people would, you know, be sharing what was true for them or doing vulnerable things that would, you know, um, kind of light a spark that wasn't there, but then the culture wasn't even there to, to start that in the first place. So it certainly wasn't there to take care of it. So what would happen would be, I would, I would leave and, you know, a month later, the director of the hospital or whoever would talk to me and say, you know, we're kind of back to our old shtick again <laughs> where we are <laughs> because we don't have the cultural practices and ways to continue to take care of this, this vital kind of life uh, source that was flowing through when we were all together, whether I did a weekend retreat or a day-long workshop or whatever. So I was leaving that kind of work. And when I came here, I really made a commitment to myself that I wasn't going to do that anymore, that if I was going to do that work around vitality, um, and fostering vitality, it was going to be a long-term place-based community um, over the long haul kind of thing. For some reason, a school is not what popped into my mind, but it makes perfect sense. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> it makes yeah, perfect yeah. sense um, because, you know, we see all three of us and now everyone involved at Springhouse who's on the team sees education as a leverage point to create healthy culture. The place, right, where, where at least in this country, adults determine what is most important to engage our young people with in their learning. And then we pass that down. Sometimes we don't really embody it. We just hope for that in our young people. But a lot of that's why we have adult programming, and we'll talk about that later. But we see education 
as a way that that literally we can we can have education that puts us to sleep and doesn't inspire us or doesn't um, remind us every day about this gift of life that we're living. Um, or we can have education that really wakes us up and connects us to to ourselves, to each other, and to this planet. Um, and so we're choosing really um, at Springhouse to, I'm going to use the word apprehend. It's like to take hold of something mm -hmm. and say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to engage education as a way to wake us up and create regenerative, healthy culture where everyone feels connected to themselves, yeah. to each other, and to the planet. So that's, that was our motivation when we started the school and it still is to this day. Yeah, that's awesome. It's sort of, it, I imagine like this really, this really terrific image comes to my my mind, right? Which is like a literal like grasping of this experience in school and kind of wrestling with it a little bit and then moving it in a direction that seems to support the mission and the values that you're really talking about. Um, and, you know, really grappling it with, an, with it in a real visceral sort of way. Like I can imagine your um, your background or like what you were saying before was you were fostering vitality through say movement or through engagement through music or what have you. And that is a very sort of visceral and, you know, whole body experience, which is much different than maybe our typical education experience as many of us have had it in, in schools in the past. Would you kind of agree with that? Is that kind of moving down the right path? Oh, I, I think so. And I think all of the, if you look at our systems culturally, whether we're looking at healthcare, which I worked a great deal in, or um, in uh, even our mental health system, or or even our theological institutions, which I've worked in all of those, um, and mm -hmm. in education, um, vitality, unfortunately, is not at the front and center of these designs. Sure. And so it's it's just really unfortunate it's really a design problem that we have a lot of symptoms that are are uh coming as a result of of a design problem and then we end up doing a lot of symptom management rather than going to the center of the design and that's what we're wanting to do at springhouse is we're like you know what happens if we put vitality at the center of a design vitality which we could never define but could only point toward and describe and experience if we put that at the center of design, what might happen? And I think it's because of that, that we are now heading into our eighth year. Two years ago, a very generous um, couple bought us a permanent location, an 11 acre farm, a beautiful building. Um, we, we're, we're more sustainable than we've ever been now. And I think it's because we have put life, we put life at the center and um, it's made all the difference. Sounds like a road trip. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Virginia's not that far. <laughs> yes, road trip it out here. <laughs> it's not unusual for people to road trip out here. And we can talk more about that later, but we do have people showing up to visit. And now we've created some infrastructure to help support those folks who are coming out. So Jenny, thanks so much for your overview of Springhouse and everything that you're making makes uh, a whole lot of sense. And I, you know, uh, we'll get into this later, but boy, do I wish more schools centered vitality at their, at their core mission. Um, but I, based on um, Sarah's title as the place-based practitioner, I think this next question is likely a good one 
for her to tackle. Um, so Sarah, as I've learned more about Spring House and as I've read about its program and its curriculum, it's clear to me that location is a pretty important aspect of the Spring House school experience. So can you tell me how, um, or tell, tell us, tell our listeners, tell us co-hosts a little bit more about how Spring House holds the notion of place as a critical element to the experience? Well, I really um, appreciate the question. Like I said, I, I just changed my title. And this past year, I've been getting my master's degree at Schumacher College in ecological design thinking. And I've really focused on the study of place that year. So um, this has been, yeah, really on my on my mind. And I have a lot to say. And I hope I can say it in a way that is concise and makes sense. <laughs> Sure, sure, sure. Don't worry, you know, say okay. it how you will, and okay. I'm sure it'll be awesome. Well, I guess I'll just start by saying I think connecting to place is really um, a vital part of education. And the way I think about place is both the, like, both the earth here, like the land here, the nature that we live on and with, and then also the human culture. So it's both. It's both humans and non-humans and, and how those things, how we interact um, and that this, this really provides the context for all of our learning and for our personal development and growth. And that when we aren't rooted in place, then learning has the potential to be totally abstracted. And, um, you know, our vision is regenerative culture. And this isn't something that we are like, preparing our students to do in the future. It's actually something that we're just building right now life-giving culture together. Mm -hmm. And that has to happen um, in place. Um, like that's, to me, what regenerative culture is. Like it's not just about us and the students, it's about um, all of us feeling connected to the vitality within us and each other and the earth. Um, so yeah, we are really, we've, we have connected to our place since the school's founding, and um, mm -hmm. it's something we want to focus more on, which is, um, I'm really excited to turn my focus there more, more directly. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll share a little bit about sort of how we have connected to place. Um, yeah, and yeah, you know, it's really awesome. about like building relationships over time is another way I really think about it, um, that this, it doesn't happen overnight, but really, yeah, over time. So um, we, the one way we connect to place is that we, people are drawn to Springhouse. So community members come in and offer their gifts at Springhouse. This year we had um, over 4,000 volunteer hours. And you know, people wouldn't keep volunteering if they didn't get something out of it. So we're both you know, relying on the community. Like we couldn't do everything we do without our community of supporters. Um, and then also they're getting something out of it. They're feeling a sense of belonging and purpose when their gifts can meet our needs. Um, so we have volunteers in our apprenticeship program. So all of our students one day a week are paired with local um, artists or community members, local businesses. Um, they help with community initiatives. Um, so that's a way that people volunteer and we connect with our community. We also have guests coming into our classes on pretty much a weekly basis. So we're not experts on everything we teach. Um, we really rely 
on the people in our community to um, help fill in the gaps and um, make learning relevant too mm -hmm. by um, sharing about their initiatives or we do a lot of field trips and we really try to have our, our learning be relevant and not in the abstract and also when we can in our courses we're um, engaging with, with real, real projects, um, often local projects but sometimes more global. And um, yeah, like Jenny said, Floyd's really small, but Floyd is amazing. Uh, we have just such a strong community of artists. We have an old-time music scene. We have a really robust local food scene and organic agriculture. And there's just a lot of bold, creative people in Floyd. So we, like I said, we just couldn't do what we do without the local community. Um, and, and then we also, you know, we flow back into the community and we also serve the community. And of course, as we're like, quote unquote, serving the community, it's also the context for our, our learning, all of us, staff, students, um, adult participants. Sure. So um, ways that we've really like shared, well, for one, we just have this whole, we just have a lot of energy we can offer because we have 30 really alive students. And um, so we have a lot of energy yeah, that we yeah. can pour out. So we've... Um, through, again, like through our apprenticeship programs, through field trips, through ongoing projects, courses, we've done things like we've, we've helped out on a lot of farms. We've had interns on farms. Um, we've built, we built a handicap accessible trail. When I say we, we partnered with a local initiative. Like we had students working with them. Um, we've volunteered with hospice. We've partnered with our nursing home where we've gone in weekly and just connected with the residents. And we did a portrait drawing project there one year um, and yeah we've really partnered with I mean like 25 probably at this point local businesses where our students are going in one day a week um, and uh, just helping out in, in various ways. It's, it sounds like that partnership is really strong and that's really amazing. I also you know, we uh, some some time ago we interviewed the folks over at the Rural Schools Collaborative, and we love talking to those folks. And we also found it really interesting to hear about some of the challenges that rural communities are are working through. And um, I'm sure that Springhouse and y'all are engaging in some of those challenges as well. I'm wondering if you might be able to highlight a couple challenges and how the community has really tried to work together to overcome those things. Yeah. Um, one project we did in the past, um, or it wasn't really a project, an initiative or a, a relationship that we built was with a local um, black church. So Floyd is 96% white, um, but there are black communities in Floyd. And we, Jenny led a course where we connected with them and facilitated um, conversations about race at the school or at the um, at their church. So that's one example of how we kind of, well, I guess engage with our community in kind of a difficult way, um, difficult and also really life-giving and beautiful. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great example. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, and um, one thing that is interesting about um, you know, providing experiences for all of our students is sometimes just because Floyd's small, there's not always um, like the kind of opportunities for internships or apprenticeships you might get in the city where there's just more um, happening. But it's been great 
especially through COVID, where we've really expanded our virtual learning. And mm -hmm. so that's been a cool kind of solution to just providing them with more experiences um, than what they can experience just in Floyd. Yeah, that's awesome. Jenny or H, do y'all want to add anything to this? these sets of questions? Um, I, I will, actually. Yeah, I think another challenge when it comes to kind of um, design, the educational design that Springhouse is engaged in, interesting when we're in a larger culture, this, this obviously is felt within our own community, but then beyond, um, where students may be used to one way of being, um, or not one way of being, but but they're immersed in a culture at Springhouse that has that I'm sure H will go into. But we we really um, gauge with five design principles that aren't our design principles. They're as old as the earth, but we engage them in educational design, and and like one of them is take care of vulnerability. I don't know a lot of <laughs> people or designs that unfortunately that's not their first priority is to take care of vulnerability in their lives and in their organizations. So when we when we come, and this is gonna be one of the greatest vulnerabilities for our students as they leave Springhouse, it already has been, and it causes anxiety for our students to leave Springhouse, especially those that have been there a long time, where it's like, how do I, I've been immersed in a design where taking care of vulnerability is the fundamental principle that all the other principles rest on. And I'm going out in the world where, unfortunately, that is not the case. So yeah, the world doesn't care that much, unfortunately. No, right? it doesn't. And you can see right. it in how we, uh, the resources we give to our very young and, and very old. And, mm -hmm. and that's really related to, and I could go into hours on this, but, but a culture that really values consumerism, consuming and mm -hmm. producing. And so if you're not producing... Um, there's less value. I'm so sorry to say that, but there's just less value. And that, that, that's usually the vulnerable, the vulnerable in our, in our, um, our culture. And so our students, whether that's them leaving Springhouse and going out into the world, or it's them going into an internship somewhere else or working with another community where maybe that isn't the fundamental principle that's guiding the organization or the experience, that's a challenge where and, and where Sarah and I, you know, speak about this regularly, where it's like, how do we help support other, other places in just by educating, by sharing what our design principles are? We're not asking everyone to adopt them, um, but we're saying this is this is the this is the young person you're receiving a young person from an environment that operates with these five design principles, and and that just by doing that is educating. That's educating, like, oh, wow, I didn't even think to, and this happens a lot, like, huh, I didn't even think about taking care of my own vulnerability, let alone the vulnerability in my organization. Well, that's a challenge. I think it's a cultural challenge when you're in a, in a design experiment, which Springhouse is, that um, is very different from the culture at large. Um, we have to do a lot of bridging and translating and a lot of like patience and humility and compassion and all of those things to build relationship because without that, we don't have much. That I would say is a, that, that cultural difference is, is a pretty regular challenge in a number of areas for us, whether we're talking about our community or families or 
or any any other place. It certainly sounds like an amazing place. Uh, it's quite quite different, probably than um, you know the traditional public schools that probably the majority of us are are used to being in. Um, but I wanted to go back to you talking about this idea of vitality and, and vitality centered education, and I know that that language kind of rings consistently across like the your mission as well as you know stuff that you have on your website there, and I think that probably. Um, that idea of, you know, vitality centered education is probably, um, certainly different from, uh, from other schools across the country. And I'm wondering if for our listeners that maybe you can go into a little more detail with that and how give us an idea of like some concrete examples. Like how does that actually look in practice? Um, maybe from like this, the student and teacher's perspectives, um, you could even talk about maybe like a typical, a typical day. I don't know even if there is such a thing as a typical day at Springhouse, but um, t- provide us with some, with some examples. Like how does this vitality centered education really, really look in practice? Yeah. Vitality and vitality centered education really looks like learning that is life-giving, that inspires us, that really brings us alive. And we really put that life at the center of everything that we do. And that means that our curriculum is, it's holistic, it's um, eco or or earth centric and place-based as we've talked about. And really it aims to pass down the values and skills that are needed to live in and build regenerative or life-giving culture. And so Really, in practice, it looks like our five design principles of vitality-centered education, which are taking care of vulnerability, first and foremost, um, cultivating our personhood, building a beloved community, and respecting the wisdom of the earth, also loving and serving others. And so particularly in our, our day school, our 7th through 12th grade program, we really explore um, what it means to be in regenerative, life-giving culture through um, three primary fields of study, which are the earth, our body, and society or culture. And also through the development of holistic skills in areas like introspection, reasoning, experimentation, relationships, expression, embodiment, initiative, and ecology. And if I were to give some maybe more concrete examples, um, they're, they're really quite a typical day at Springhouse. Every day kind of looks different, um, which really happens when you put life at the center of things. Um, though we do have a, you know, a weekly schedule and Um, We work in a trimester kind of structure. Some examples might be, you know, if you were to come to Springhouse on uh, a Monday morning, you might see us singing together. Or on a Friday afternoon, you might see us dancing together. Um, You might see teens and adults having really honest and sometimes difficult mentoring conversations. Um, You would see teens and adults uh, paddling through rapids on an experience week trip. Um, You might notice or observe learning that centers around sailing and 
coastal ecology while the whole school is helping build a sailboat that then we all sail on the Chesapeake Bay later in the year. Um, it might look like putting on a play through a main course. It might look like apprenticing with a local luthier, which one of our teens did a few years ago. Um, and he built an electric guitar from scratch because that's what he wanted to do and was really passionate about music. And then he played that guitar and sang an original song at our um, annual community presentation night at the end of the year, which he still talks about to this day. Super vulnerable, but also a lot of fun and really rewarding for him to go through that entire process. Um, it really brought him alive. So those are just a few examples of what that might look like. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's amazing. Um, would you say that? I don't know, do you do you still refer to any of the any st like state standards or anything like that, or is this really it's really all about your your students? I'm just curious. We used we used to at the start of Springhouse we used to um, really adhere to the Virginia state standards, but now we've become so clear that you know it's to us not about like a certain you know um, content progression or uh, yeah it's not really about certain standards, unanimous standards. It's more about uh, helping teens grow up and also grow into who they are. And so that includes looking at these skills um, in those areas that I mentioned earlier that really look at the full spectrum of what it means to be human. Um, and when we think about success at Springhouse, you know, we don't offer grades. Um, and what we really are after is if someone graduates from Springhouse with a better sense of who they are and a better sense of their next step, um, have a sense of, you know, their strengths, their weaknesses, um, what they have uh, in their back pocket, you know, like what's, what are their gifts um, that they have to offer and, and what might be um, a solid next step for them, um, then that to us is success. Um, not having, you know, certain, grades or uh, certain, you know, um, content memorized. Um, so, yeah. I love that. <laughs> and, I, and I love that uh, we, you're acknowledging that they all have gifts that they're going to end up leaving you with and going out into the world and doing amazing things. <laughs> um, yeah, Jenny, did you want to jump in there? Sure. Yeah, I think everything H is saying is so spot on. And I would add that you know, we uh, we searched for a little while, it might have been in our fourth year, where we certainly don't have to be accredited, um, but we're looking for, hmm, I wonder if there are standards out there that are vast enough that will allow us to stay true to our vision and mission, but also be a part of a membership that could support us and help us to learn and grow. Um, so we did find that with uh, with uh, Virginia accrediting body, or the Virginia Council for Private Education. So we we have we are members of the Virginia Independent Schools Association and finished our self study, which H was a big part of and still is, um, and are getting ready to have our our visit this fall, where I'm I'm hoping that we'll be an accredited school. Now, certainly if those standards were going to um, ask us to compromise the essence and the heart of our vision and mission, um, we wouldn't do it. So, I mean, that's really what we're 
what we're true to um, is the vision of regenerative culture and the mission of designing education in a way that brings us alive. So um, it's it's been really cool to be a part of a membership that so far has um, really um, supported what we're doing and is interested in what we're doing. And then we are also parts of larger networks like Education Reimagined has profiled us. We've written many articles and done, done many um, podcasts. And I find that whole team at Education Reimagined incredibly inspiring. And then we're also part of the 100 network out of, um, out of Finland um, and a couple other networks too. So it's, it's helpful to be engaged in networks that, um, that we can learn from and, and we can share what we're learning in the experiment that we're up to. Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, our first series was all about networks. <laughs> so, uh, we, we can certainly relate to that. Definitely. And I think that just the way that you're speaking passionately about your mission and your vision and sticking to your core values, I mean, that's going to take you so far for sure. So I did have one more question I, and you might've mentioned it earlier. Uh, so I'm sorry if I'm repeating one or I'm just curious, but I was wondering, and I'm assuming that maybe some of our listeners are wondering, you know, how, how are you funded? I know you had said you took, uh, you get donations from, from different people. Um, but how else do you fund everything that you're doing there? Yeah, this, this is a really exciting question actually, and, um, slightly terrifying. <laughs> so so we are funded primarily by in the past. So we're about we're about to move. Well, we are actually today was the day we're moving into a more regenerative, sustainable funding model um, that does involve some risk. Um, but before this, I would say we were tuition funded um, and grant funded, and then we do fundraising. Um, so it's donations, grants, and income from our programming. This year, we're moving, we've spent this entire year studying um, regenerative economics as a community, both within and, and, and people from around the country have, have called in for this study. But we are, we are moving away from a tuition-based model and more toward an investment model. It means that we are totally transparent about our finances. So we've had some guidance from some folks in this in this field, in the regenerative economics field that have given us great feedback and cheering us on <laughs> from the sidelines. Because to actually, in theory, I mean, I've read and heard a lot of podcasts in theory, um, but to do this as a as a school in the in this small town um, is just another a different endeavor. So basically what that means is we we will be very transparent about what Springhouse needs financially. We see money as one resource. Money's not at the center of what we do, um, but is one resource that we do need to function as a school. We're at that place now where it's not volunteer run. We do need that money. Um, it's not all we need, but we do need it. And so now what we're doing is being transparent with anyone who engages with Springhouse. So any families that are bringing their teens there, any adults who are engaging, any donors, um, people who are part of the Source Design Lab um, or the Source Design Network. So Source Design is the name of our design. We now share that globally through our labs, which creates then a network of people who are interested in putting vitality at the front and center of their lives. So those are just some of our um, the people engaged in Springhouse, 
So what we have is basically we share with them very transparently what we need financially. We've broken all that down. And then they, it's a conversation. It's pretty much a conversation in a relationship. Every person who engages our organization. And so far, what we've experienced, uh, even especially the past two years, is the generosity that moves towards Springhouse materially. Money and property and goods and everything is absolutely overwhelming. I can't, I can't stress it enough. It is it's like a waterfall that we, we just finished a fundraiser this summer, you all, that in three weeks, Springhouse needed to raise $73,000 to complete our last year's budget. We raised close to 90. So it's just in, in three weeks. So it's just, it's a whole new way, a relational way of being with money that we're hoping is not only going to support Springhouse in its endeavors, but help us all kind of heal around our relationship with money. So we'll keep you posted on that. That's exciting. I, I do want to hear about that. So awesome. That is, that's a fascinating model. Yeah. Yeah. That's not something I've done a ton of thinking about. Um, I, I want to jump back, um, perhaps Jenny um, or anyone really, but um, thinking about something that H had just shared about measures of success, you know, really alternate ways of measuring the success of your students and, and really of your program. I wondered if you could share um, of the seven, seven through 12th graders uh, that go through your program, you know, where do they go uh, typically after, are they successful? Um, are they typically college bound? Um, what kinds of things do they pursue? Um, yeah, so there have been, oh, Jenny, you might have to, to help me out here. I'm not sure exactly how many graduates we've had. Um, we have had, I love this question, by the way. This is a great one. <laughs> I love how I'm answering this question these days. Um, H, I think we've had, we had 10 now after this year. Um, thank you, Jenny. Yeah, so about 10. Um, and all of them have done very different things. Some of them have gone on to community college. Some of them have, you know, gone to Costa Rica, some of, to volunteer. Um, some of them have gone straight into the workforce and then have decided to go to college a few years later. Um, what's interesting though, is that some of our learners that leave to go to college, um, particularly more traditional colleges, they're often like very prepared. Um, but bored or uninspired with the educational model. Um, you know, they're sitting in a, a lecture hall of about 200 people and they're sitting there for an hour and a half and not moving their bodies and not going outside and there's not really interaction with other people. And they're just uh, kind of like, what, what am I doing? Um, and so really the idea of success, I think has been so twisted in our culture. It's you know, this very linear progression of graduate from high school, go to a four-year university, and then get a job and, you know, have stable income and all that stuff. And um, really, like I said, for us, there's so many different paths you can take after you leave high school. And um, we, our goal is to really set our students up for their next step, which is just the immediate next step. Um, and for each and every one of them, that's going to look different. Um, but we are, our um, aim is to provide them with the tools and the skills that they need to navigate that next step, whatever it might be. Um, 
does that answer your question? It does. It does. Uh, so it sounds like a variety of, of experiences. So in your seven, you have had 10 graduates in the seven through 12th program. Uh, do kids typically come in, come out? Um, I, I hear it's a day school. I'm just trying to give our listeners and myself a, a clearer picture of, um, you know, who attends. Um, and, you know, maybe how long they stay. Typically, I mean, we just had our first graduate that was with us since seventh grade. So he was with us all six years. Um, typically, we do get a lot of um, students, you know, entering seventh grade or eighth grade. But sometimes we have them entering, you know, somewhere in ninth, tenth, um, but much more in the younger end. And they, uh, you know, we've been in existence for what? I think this is our eighth year. And um, there have been several students that have been with us kind of for uh, the long duration. And that's really what we're after is commitment and the, the continuity of being in community for a long time um, and growing with that community. And so um, in terms of kind of demographics, we get um, a lot of local people, but we also have gotten people from um, coming, moving towards us from you know, Maine or Australia um, or other parts of the country that visit Floyd or hear about Spring House and experience Spring House and want to um, have their children or just have their family be near it or be involved in it. And so they move um, to be a part of the school. People who are just drawn to this vision um, and, and this place, that sounds amazing. Um, all right, I'd like to shift focus again. Um, so Springhouse does have this focus on young people, but also adults, um, I read about. Um, why does the school hold this to be important? Um, can you give us some examples of what that adult learning uh, space looks like? Um, that'd be great. I mean, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, thank you for this question about adult programming. You know, one of the things that I've been adding lately to when people say, you know, uh, what do our, our, our young people do when they graduate high school? Um, H listed a lot of them, but one of the things that we sometimes omit um, is uh, the ones who, the couple few who are wandering, who are lost, don't know what they're going to do. They're 18 years old. So <laughs> it's like, I'm starting now to just say it because it's an act of honestly protection for young people. Because I think one of the reasons that we offer adult programming is, is that I think we project a lot onto our young people, want, for good reasons and also maybe not so good reasons. We want so much from them. It's a lot of pressure on them. And one of the things that we really is really dear to us is an ecocentric model of human development. Basically, what that means is that wholeness is at the center of, of development, of human development. So what does that mean? It means we want not only the young people, but adults, too, who are engaged with Springhouse become who they are meant to become here on this planet, to grow into who they truly are because every person is unique. And I don't know about you all on this call, but for me, at, I'm 50 now, that involved a lot of being lost. That involved a lot of being lost. It, it involved really incredible mentors. In that lostness, I learned a lot of practices um, in how to be lost and hang with ambiguity, the unknown, 
um, inside and out. And that led me to a brilliantly vibrant life, I have to say. And when I look at my life, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad that in my early years, I got as lost as I did and then had mentors and practices and places hold me in that lostness so I could really hear, what am I here for? I don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing what, just doing what my mom wants me to do, right? Or what what culture or my teacher told me I should do. It's like, I really want to do and be who I really am here to be. And that's really what Springhouse adult programming is for. I, I was talking to a friend in Ireland who I met throughout COVID and he said, adult, and he's just really engaged in reimagining education at a, at a global level. And he said, adults need more places to unravel. I said, welcome to Springhouse. <laughs> that's, that's basically what adult programming is. It's, we have programming um, where adults can come and just kind of wander for a while, whether that's through, um, small group discussions, study of human development, whether it's dancing together, talk about being vulnerable, oh my God. Um, you know, those kind of things where we learn how to be with ourselves in a way that allows us to listen really deeply to what's true for us. And then we also have programming that supports us in living from that, giving back to our community from that authentic place, like being an authentic adult and living from that place. So we have small group, kind of drop in virtual and local kind of classes. We have um, longer term sort of study groups where people are doing something um, maybe a little deeper called shadow work or things where they're really looking at themselves. And then we also have, um, and, and what their strategies are, like what gets in the way and what doesn't. And then we also have a nine month fellowship where people come and can study regenerative farm design or vitality-centered educational design and do that in an immersive way at Springhouse where they're doing that self-reflective, AKA unraveling <laughs> work while also doing this design work. So the adult programming has a very different focus, I'm guessing, than most times when we hear adult programming or higher ed. It's really a space where people can, um, uh, it's like a cocoon like a cocoon where people can be lost in a way that is transformative, regenerative, not in a way that causes them to live in a more fragmented way, because I think we all know our culture doesn't need any more of that kind of adulthood. And I, and I can tell you, one of, and Sarah can probably speak to this because she's doing her master's um, thesis on this and is doing these interviews. But one thing she heard from students, teen students, is um, their incredible gratitude for being around adults every day at Springhouse, the Springhouse team, who are doing that work, that inner work, and then also engaged in authentic work that inspires them in the world. It gives something for young people to be excited about, to be surrounded by adults who are actually living in a way that we want young people to live. We're actually walking the talk. That, that's why we offer adult program, because we know we can't be a healthy, regenerative culture without healthy adults. We just can't. I was just going to comment um, exactly what you were thinking there. Um, what a great example for the young people. Instead of saying, you know, here's your schooling, and then hurrah, you're finished. Now go make your way. Um, you know, how stressful is that? And then to see other people who are adults really 
you know, trying to work through it and that's okay. You know, we're all, you know, a process. So um, that's just, that's just wonderful. Janine, you want to jump in? Yeah. I'm wondering, we've been throwing a lot of questions at you. You've been sharing an awful lot and uh, it's amazing to try. I I should see all my notes here that I will have to digest later, but I'm wondering at this point, is there, is there really like anything else that you want to tell us about any, anything that you're really excited about or something that's awesome that's happening at Springhouse? Sure. I can share about one thing we're doing this year. Um, Jenny mentioned that we were gifted um, 11 acres and a beautiful building. And our um, site used to be a Chinese medicine center and they grew Chinese medicinal herbs. Um, But the farm was, um, you know, fallow for four or five years before we, um, before we moved in. And so things need a lot of revitalizing, but we have two greenhouses and all this garden space. So that's going to be one of our projects this year is, um, yeah, like reawakening the farm and integrating that into our curriculum. That's awesome. I was just commenting. I I think I need some new friends to, uh, gift me some farmland so I can make a school just like yours. (laughs) I'm ready. Where do I sign up for that? (laughs) I'm wondering about you've been in existence for eight years, which as you said, was a miracle. Um, phenomenal. Um, do you have any thoughts about sharing this message of vitality-centered education with others? And how do we get more schools to think about doing things differently by adopting perhaps some of the values uh, that Springhouse has uh, put forward? Yes, good question. Um, definitely, you know, we're, we're really, we take this very seriously that Springhouse is, you know, um, it's a living example of what is possible when we orient design in a new but really ancient way, like really ancient way um, that just isn't well practiced. We're just orienting around um, around life, as I said. So, so the beautiful thing is that we took a year and we had a focus group of community members and teens and staff um, and family members to come together and talk about what is it that makes Springhouse remarkable. Um, because that's really how you get to the essence of something. From that essence, we were able to articulate, um, both with some of my doctoral work and our focus group work, we were able to articulate five design principles that H shared. Um, and from that um, place now, now this past year, we've shared um, that design, those design principles globally now in small intimate cohorts. So every trimester, fall, winter, and summer, we have a lab, a source design lab, where people from around the globe, we limit it to 12 people, and we come together and we work with those principles. People have a capstone project, and they they um, really work with those principles um, throughout that, that trimester. And then beyond that, we stay connected as a network. So we have monthly support meetings for people who want to keep vitality at the front and center of their lives and in their communities. And again, because the larger culture unfortunately isn't supporting um, that, um, I trust that one day it will, maybe not in my lifetime at large, but maybe, um, what we can do now is just um, support others from around the world who are, it's not easy, it's scary. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm talking to someone in Belgium who's like, <gasps> I'm ready to just do this. I'm going to launch this design. It's not another spring house, but it's using these principles in the ways that suit him 
his community and his place. And same thing happening in Thailand or in India, where I'm talking to folks or uh, in Kenya. Um, people are, it's not easy to, to um, start building something new. Um, it's a very strong, powerful force that in some ways is in direct opposition to what's being built. So we need to support each other. Um, and some people are within the system, um, in conventional systems, and they need support there too. I mean, I remember in one lab, we had a doctor who was wanting to uh, bring more vitality to her um, faculty, her residents um, that she was teaching. She's staying within the healthcare system. So it's not just in schools. It's people who want to put vitality at the front and center of their lives and designs. We wanted to create an infrastructure that would support people. So. We now have that with, with the labs and with the network and with the monthly meetings. And then also we'll have an annual conference. Sorry, there's my dog, but um, that, <laughs> that is, uh, that's how we're hoping to share, share this and support other people in, in growing vitality and in, in, in fostering vitality in their places. You know what, I really like uh, what you're sharing here that you could be in a completely different context but take some of these values and some of the things you might've heard on this podcast, be interested, learn more, and how can you apply some of what you've heard to your current place? I think that would be wonderful. I think it's so important what, I, what you're saying, Jenny, is that um, there's some of like what you're framing in Springhouse is like in response and in building alongside your local community, right? And um, how you can work with partnership within that community to really have Spring House be a place that is uh, centered in a, in a location where people are able to support it and where people are able to, you know, build the, the like vitality centered kind of approach that you're talking about. Um, and that's not always possible um, everywhere right? You have to be cognizant of your local partnerships and your local community and what your local community is not only prepared for, but is willing to say, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And we're willing to support that, whether it's by, you know, um, generously gifting you an 11 acre farm, or it is just by trustfully sending their students to you, which I think is something that new schools really can struggle with uh, at their onset. Um, and I know you, you mentioned you want to say something around that. I would love to hear. Um, I would love to hear your response. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. We could not do this without everything you just said. I mean, trust is one of our values and it's huge. And, and one of the things that I've, you know, this year I've spent so much time talking nationally and globally with people meeting amazing, amazing people like you all who are really, who see the problem and um, have hope for something better and even are able to work toward something stronger and healthier. Um, when I'm in a lot of conversations, I hear a lot about either the problem of education, which we're all clear about. I think we're all clear on that. Um, but the other thing, or maybe not all of us, but some of us. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is I hear a lot about the dream like what if, what could, what if school could be this or what, you know, um, that. And yeah, so yeah. one of the things I know for sure is that it's examples bring hope. 
examples, and I know this personally. I in in my twenties, I um, had cancer, and it was life threatening, obviously. And I'll never forget looking at someone who had survived Hodgkin's disease lymphoma, looking in his eyes, seeing this guy made it. Like <laughs> five years down the road, it is possible. And I've read all kinds of things, of course, as you can imagine. But it was looking in this guy's eyes that I was like oh my God, I think I can do that. And I'm sure we could all think of that, right? Like seeing someone do a triathlon, oh, maybe I could do that. Or, um, And that's what Springhouse is now. It's, it's a living example going into its eighth year of truly, um, like to truly an example of an emergent design of, of a group of people listening deeply within themselves to each other and to their place and designing something um, over the years that we can now kind of pull out these universal principles, give them as a gift to other people that aren't ours. They're, they're universal. They're eternal principles. We can then just say, you know what? Here, come immerse yourself, whether it's virtually or you're coming here in a living example where you can see, yeah, teams do sing together. <laughs> they will. I know it doesn't seem like it would maybe happen, but or yes, adults do have really uh, do this deep kind of intimate personal work so they can show up in a new way. It's a living example. And I can see now after this year, it's that example that is giving people hope. And that that's what I want to continue to be. And, and we do take that really seriously at Springhouse. That's so awesome. And we talk on this podcast often about what we describe as images of possibility, right? This uh, beacon or this model that exists that um, other people, other schools, whomever can look to and see, wow, this is really actually happening somewhere. Um, and, you know, we've talked to so many people on this podcast who are doing that work. You know, Henry Fairfax, the head of the Revolution School here in Philadelphia, comes to mind. And I could just rattle off the list of, of people who we've talked to and that we know about that are really producing what these images of possibility are all about. Hey, everyone. This is Mike. As usual, I'm dropping in at the mid-roll to say thanks for listening to this episode of Rethinking EDU with H and Sarah and Jenny from Springhouse. It's been super fun, this conversation, and who knew that a vitality-centered education model could bring so much vitality to our amazing podcast? So with this in mind, I'm really excited to announce a new initiative of Rethinking EDU called The Think Tank. The Think Tank is our super informal post-conversation from the episode. We engage with the guests in some questions that we didn't get to cover in our regular conversation. We talk about whatever happens to come to our minds, and we just have a nice sort of informal chat about what we just talked about. So if you want access to The Think Tank, head on over to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash rethinkingedu, and you can check out our tiers, pay a little bit to support our podcast, and get access to our amazing Think Tank. Thanks so much. And as always, be sure to check out our very own Matt Downing's podcast, Diving Deep EDU. A quick interruption to let you know about another great podcast. 
Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Diving deep, EDU. Thought-provoking conversations. I think that's a perfect segue into one of our segments that we have on the podcast where we like to reflect about this conversation and we like to just sort of think, you know, what is this conversation making me rethink about education, making me rethink about my practice, the possibility of school and co-hosts? I would love to hear from you all. Um, I usually take the backseat. I want to I wanna go first in this section um, just to share brief thoughts, brief thoughts. Um, I think about, I've, I've worked in a few different schools that are trying to like center students as sincere assets to their communities. And something Jenny said earlier about, um, about engaging students in vitality-centered education allows them to provide energy and to provide maybe confidence to their local communities. And I think that that's just such a nuanced and interesting way for me to think about like why students aren't necessarily always seen as assets to their communities. I feel like sometimes students are seen as maybe burdens by community members. And I think some of that is probably because schools are saying to them, um, we want you to get out into the community. We want you to do your thing in this community. And students are like, but I don't know how to do that because I'm in this compliance culture in my school every day. And I don't know how to be a, you know, like life giving vibrant member of my community, even at 15. And so we're putting students sort of up to the task to fail almost automatically by not in, not sort of, uh, you know, imbibing them with, vitality and life and confidence so when they walk out into their community they can talk with people and they can um you know be really giving into what the what they are providing um janine what uh what about you what what is this conversation making you think about My thoughts are kind of all over the place i'll see if i can pull them all together here i'm definitely and uh, this idea of just being really focused on vitality and focused on the student and um, you know, I, I kind of liked our conversation about the standards, uh, that you know, it's, it's not about the standards, it's about the student. Um, you know, I could totally go into a bit more about that, but, and then I'm also thinking, you know, right. We've, we've, we have talked to a, an awful lot of people who are making waves or doing things and rethinking education. And then, I, but I've also talked to a lot of people who have great ideas and they, they want to do school differently, but they feel stuck or like, or, or it's just, it's so hard to open a school, you know, like we have this great vision. I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, we have these ideas for, you know, what school could be. Um, but the funding issues, right? Like it's such an uphill climb. Like, yeah, there's so many, there's so much red tape. If you want to be like a public school, well then forget it. Like uh, if you want to, even if in Pennsylvania, if you want to be a charter school, forget it right now, you know, politics is too much. Um, you know, so like, how do you, how, how do you, get off the ground, um, you know, and really, really get started. I, I, I appreciate you sharing about the funding, um, at Springhouse because that's always kind of like in the back of my mind, like, um, like, where do you, where do you start? How do you get off the ground? <laughs> yeah. It's an uphill climb for, 
for sure. And then just uh, real quick, like the the adult learning piece, um, you really where that really resonated with me as well. Um, where Julie and I work, adult learning is is a big focus uh, on what we do too. And it was a reminder like that we we used to do it more often where we, we have these evening collaboration sessions, we, we call them, and um, uh, parents and community members come in and um, we had done a lot of different type of educational sort of stuff before where, you know, maybe it's like a parent, you know, some kind of parenting meeting, you know, of sorts where they learn some some tricks. <laughs> um, but we got away from that, I think, a little bit over the past few years here. So I appreciate that we've you brought that back up and that just... Um, you know, we can really engage our community members in that everybody is there. To, uh, we can all be students and we can all be teachers uh, is one of our mottos. So that's what I'm thinking about. I love it, Janine. Julie, what about you? I'm thinking about something Sarah had talked about when she was describing the vision about the regenerative culture. I'd never heard that term before. Um, I had done a lot of thinking about how learning happens in a context. Um and building those relationships that create that culture uh, requires that ongoing care over time. So um, I definitely think that's going to be a focus for our school year coming up. Um, so, and it, it occurred to me when you were describing, you know, this awesome program, uh, what do people who have been part of this learning experience, you know, how do they leave change in their approach to their lives and how do they uh, leave changed um, how do they approach learning in a new way? Uh, so I just think that's just fascinating to think about. And then also um, thinking about those examples, so many of the people who've been on our podcast, um, that is the big hope, right? That you can hold up a different model. Um, we can get out of our silos. Um, and instead of plodding along slowly, um, we understand that transformative teaching and learning really requires getting out of our own heads and holding a mirror up to our own practice in our schools um, and then wondering what could we do what could we do differently and then learning from others it just moves they launches things forward so much faster uh, so that's something we've definitely been talking about on this podcast uh, it's it's sort of like the unspoken theme we keep going back to <laughs> so, so true so yeah. true Julie, thanks for sharing. I, I appreciate that. Sarah, I would love to hear your reflections on this conversation. Please share. Um, I thought what you shared, Mike, just now was really interesting around the this idea of like sending a 15-year-old out into the community and expecting them to sort of contribute vibrantly and to like know what to do. And um, without giving them either an example or scaffolded support, um, like expecting someone to do something that they're really not equipped to do. Um, and so it got me thinking about the ways we do that and then also how we could improve potentially or just, um, yeah, it just got me thinking about our program and um, yeah, it got me excited. Yeah, it got me excited. So I appreciated <laughs> I, that perspective. I just hadn't thought about that before or I, I hadn't, I don't know. It just clicked something for me. So thank you. Sure. I, I feel the wheels turning right now. It's palpable, really. <laughs> yeah. <I feel. laughs> um, H, I would love to hear your thoughts. and reflections. Sure. Yeah. My mind is kind of going in a million different directions, but um, a few little sparks or things around. Um, yeah. 
what it means to be an adult in an educational context and um, our role working with young people, you know, um, just how important it is for us to really be um, focusing on our own person, our own um, development as people to better um, show up for ourselves and also for the young people that we work with. Um, and also I've just been really sinking into the idea of education, not as, you know, we normally think of it as school, um, but more so about learning in community and how, um, I think Jenny had said earlier, maybe put in the chat here, just how we need, you know, our teens to be a, like active members of our communities and just how important it is for learning to be intergenerational, how much we learn from each other, um, from different, you know, ages and demographics. So that's what I'm sitting with right now. Yeah, that's so great. And the idea of school as a learning place is a little wonky because in some cases, in a lot of cases, in my point of view, it sort of divorces the idea of learning from an ongoing activity that everybody's engaging with all the time, right? And so you end up with you end up with like this strange fragmentation and disconnect in between the student going to a place where they're meant to learn in which sometimes they learn, but sometimes they don't. And then they go home and then learning all of a sudden stops happening. It's like a weird, <laughs> it's a, it's a weird um, like existence for, for a student, you know, and Jenny, I would love for you to build on that and maybe share some of your reflections from, from this conversation. Yeah, I'm just feeling so grateful to be connected to you all in, um, that you're doing this. So thank you so much, Mike and Janine and Julie for mm. just yeah. creating a space to share the stories that, that give people hope. Um, just, yeah, I'm just feeling really grateful for that and certainly resonant with, with everything you're sharing. You know, there's something that Julie said about, I can't remember the exact words you said, Julie, but like holding up a mirror to ourselves and to our schools or our learning places. I think, think that that would serve us well to just stop and take a breath and to just it's like almost like stop the madness right <laughs> like stop and look in the mirror and just what are we doing and why are we doing it <laughs> why are we doing it and what oh my is, gosh yeah is education for and let's just be honest right like to perpetuate an unsustainable culture that we're all living in? Is that what we want to continue? And I know I, Julie mentioned, Mike, about your your doctoral work around change, I think Julie said. And and I think change, you know, there's a great quote from um, the Vietnamese monk, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, and he says something like, we hold on to our suffering because it's familiar. And, uh, and it, we, we'd rather do what doesn't work because we were that afraid of change. And I would just say that, um, yeah, I think a lot's at stake either way. Um, and, and I just hope to part of, of the change to build a, a culture that's thriving and much more sustainable than it is currently. And I think education really can uh, plays a huge role in, in that, in, in building culture. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir on this one for sure. You know, that's why we're all here. 
Um, and Jenny and H and Sarah, I want to thank you for joining this conversation. It's been really uh, amazing, really amazing to learn about Springhouse. And in our last section of the podcast, we always share or uh, let our guests share a little plug about something that they've been watching, listening, you know, um, all the things. And I would love to hear from our guests to see what they would like to plug. Maybe H, would you like to uh, plug something that you've been watching or listening to or reading or um, just enjoying? Well, I've been really loving this book by Sonia Renee Taylor called The Body Is Not an Apology. Um, sure. It's great. You're the second Highly recommended. You're the second person in the last five episodes to recommend that book. No way. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not surprised. It's a great read. That's awesome. Yeah, if you if you go back and check out our episode with Penn Pritchard in which we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion um, in schools, uh, they suggest Sonia Renee Taylor's book as well. And um, I uh, think, well, anybody listening would enjoy that episode. Um, but it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good one. And that book is a spot on recommendation. So thanks H we'll include that in our show notes for sure. Um, Sarah, what, what would you like to plug anything good recently on your radio? Um, and first of all, I also just echo Jenny's thanks. And it just feels, it's just fun to be in dialogue and feel really heard and understood. And I'm just grateful for you all and what you're doing. And, um, Thanks, Sarah. We appreciate yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And um, I have been reading um, the new translation of Letters to a Young Poet that Joanna Macy and uh, Anita Barrows translated. And um, I've also been listening to the song Heat Waves by Glass Animals on repeat. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> um, Jenny, what would you like to plug? Okay, so I have two plugs. One is I'm reading, or, or I just finished Monoculture by F.S. Michaels. Really good. F.S. Michaels also has a TED Talk called Monoculture. Um, really good. And then I'm also reading The Icarus Deception by Seth Godin. I find as an, an innovator and one who's out on the edge with things design-wise, I get his blog every day in my email box and pretty much every day it speaks to something I need to hear. For those of you who are out on the edge with design your life, um, Seth Godin, I think is a really is a really great guide on that journey. Cool. That's awesome. Uh, that sounds like something I need to read. You know, the problem with being a podcast host is like every time you talk to somebody, your book list just gets longer and longer and longer. And I have so many books that I bought in the last few months that I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. When am I going to have time to read these things? But I think that's a good problem to have. Well, <laughs> um, so Jenny and H and Sarah, I so appreciate you all coming and joining us here on Rethinking EDU. Audience, I hope that you love this episode as much as we did. Um, and we're going to do something new starting with this episode. If you head over to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash rethinking edu uh, you can now support us and get access to what we are calling the the think tank or a little bit of recap of our conversation a little bit more informal a little bit more behind the curtains um talk 
between us and our guests about our conversation. So head on over there, check us out, Rethinking uh, EDU on patreon.com. And as always, share our podcast with your friends. Leave us those amazing five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And keep rethinking EDU.